0: Hey there, I hope you've been having a great summer and that you and your loved ones are healthy. Today on Inside Stories, kind of a significant departure. Yes, we're still going to speak with a very interesting person who does very interesting things, but it's the nature of this guest's passion that just might surprise you. And by the end of our conversation today, perhaps even impress you. I'm Scott Simi. Welcome. Today on Inside Stories, I'm joined from across the pond by T. Francis. T. is in London, England, and has a very unusual passion. T., welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: All right, I can see you because we're doing this as a Zoom meeting. Tell us what you're wearing and why, because you've got something somewhat unusual uh, on on you.
1: I am wearing a T-shirt that apparently, if my photo's on the internet or anything to go by, I never take off. Um, it's my favorite t-shirt. It's by an artist called Thomas Cheyenne. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. And it's covered in all of the different orders of arachnids. So there are tarantulas and vinegaroons, pseudoscorpions, loads of different types of arachnid on my t-shirt.
0: <laughs> and why do you have a t-shirt covered with arachnids?
1: Because spiders and other arachnids are my life. <laughs> yeah, I I spend all of my time working on working with studying whatever photographing, breeding all different types of spiders and arachnids and yeah, you could say I'm a bit obsessed.
0: How did that get started? It seems like a somewhat unusual specialty or area of interest.
1: Yeah, it's um it's been a long it's been a long-term thing. So when I was a kid, as far back as I can remember, when most other kids would have had an imaginary friend, I had an imaginary pet spider called Cyril who lived in the bath. So it's it's not a new thing. It's been, it's been something that I've been into my whole life. Um, not just spiders, but all other kinds of animals as well. Um, when I left school, I worked at a zoo for a while. I've worked at various uh, reptile shops and rescues, that kind of thing. Um, I actually went off to university to study biology. I got my bachelor's degree in 2009 in animal biology and ecology. And my life took a complete detour. I ended up spending the next 10 years working as an illustrator. But the spiders and everything were there in the background more as a hobby sort of thing. Um, But in the last sort of couple of years, I've I've discovered a few things about myself that have given me the confidence to go back to my education and to resume where I was at with academia so now I'm kind of pushing it in the direction of studying uh, towards my master's and perhaps eventual PhD with a view to a career in arachnology.
0: So give me a sense of what a, a typical day might be like for you. I follow you on Twitter. I see pictures that you seem to be off doing some really interesting things. Tell us what, a, what an average day might be like for you.
1: Okay. So when I get up, I go into my spider room because I have a whole room full of spiders. Um, to go and just do a quick check on everybody, turn on any lights that aren't on timers, um, see, you know, what's what's been going on. So at any given time, I might have breeding projects happening. So I'll be checking to see if anybody's laid any egg sacs, if any babies have hatched, all that kind of thing. Um, later on in the day, it feeding tends to start at around lunchtime, sort of mid-afternoon, because there are some species that will only eat during the day. They don't hunt at night time. And then later on in the evening, when it comes nighttime, the species that won't hunt during the day tend to get fed when it gets dark. So there are several jobs that need doing in there at any given time during the day, depending on who needs feeding on what given day. Um, they are very low maintenance animals for the most part. So none of them require feeding every single day. Um, they don't really require cleaning out unless they've made a real mess. Um. It's just, it's quite low maintenance work once everything's settled. So most of my time is just spent observing them really, observing them and learning about them.
0: And what, I I am assuming it would vary depending on the species of arachnid, but what do you feed spiders?
1: um live food so crickets um flies moths wax worms which are moth larvae uh, mealworms all that kind of thing so there are some that prefer flying food some that um won't go after anything that doesn't move around a lot because they're triggered by vibrations they can't really see um so yeah i keep uh, stock of several different types of insect Um, that I use as feeders and depending on which species I'm feeding, I pick whichever type of insect I'm feeding it appropriately.
0: (laughs) And when you say you're breeding, are you breeding these to sell to clients or for what purpose?
1: Um, I breed them mostly for my own educational purposes. I like to see how everything works from start to finish so i'll monitor and record their courtship behavior when they mate i'll you know i'll see i'll see what's what's going on there take photographs maybe some video that kind of thing just so i can um get a keen understanding of the behavior that goes into you know these things because it varies from species to species and you know different arachnid groups have different ways of going about all of this um but yeah once the babies are born um depending on what they are and how many they are sometimes i'll keep them sometimes if there's surplus i'll distribute them amongst other spider loving friends and if there are loads of them um then i have suppliers that will buy them from me as well so
0: and when you say other spider-loving friends, uh, I'm assuming, obviously, that you've connected with other people in London and elsewhere who who share this fascination. Tell, tell me a little bit about that process and how you find each other.
1: Um, yeah, I think a lot of my contacts locally were made when I was working at the local reptile shop several years ago. Um, it's one of those places that people come from quite far afield to go to to get their supplies because... Especially back then anyway, because, you know, this was slightly before all of the big pet shop chains started carrying reptile um, equipment and food. So you would you'd meet a lot of people at places like that since um, that's sort of quietened down a little bit because you can buy everything online. And obviously with the pandemic as well, you know, um, it's mostly online that I connect with people. Going back to pre-pandemic, there's also shows that I would go to. So several times a year, there are different um, invertebrate expos that happen um, around London and surrounding areas are the ones that are local to me anyway. They happen all over the place, but uh, there's a few that I really, really enjoy going to. So I would meet a lot of people at those as well.
0: When you mentioned that you're considering sort of making this kind of a career or, or getting back into this on an academic ground, what sort of jobs are out there for someone who's fascinated by by spiders? What do you envision yourself potentially doing?
1: My passion is in uh, behavioral ecology and taxonomy. So those things basically are the study of spiders and the way they behave, the way they interact with their environments, just for human understanding's sake, really. Um, and taxonomy is the classification of living species, so everything from uh, tiny tiny little invertebrates bacteria to plants to big mammals everything so a taxonomist 's role is to to classify species that are discovered to perhaps review prior classifications to see if there 's anything that might be not quite as accurate as we once thought you know to try and figure out where everything fits into the tree of life as it were and to give everything an appropriate name. And um, nowadays, you know, there's uh, systems like the International Barcode of Life, which takes genetic information from all of these creatures as well and loads it into a huge database so that they're catalogued in a way that's easily accessible for people who want to learn about them. So for me, what I would like to end up doing is going out into the field and observing them in their natural habitats, learning as much about them as I can. Um, going to places where a lot of the ecosystems haven't been too widely explored and see if there's anything there that we don't know about yet. And if there is, bring it back home, take a good look at it, give it a name.
0: <laughs> I, I'm, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually had written down a question, which was, if you could travel anywhere on earth to go and see spiders in their natural habitat, where would you want to go and, and why?
1: There's a few answers to that question. Um, One is the Amazon rainforest, because it's just one of those places that I think anybody who pays any attention to the natural world and has an interest in it would associate that with huge amounts of life and not a massive amount of exploration. You know, there's a lot out there that we still don't know about. But then that said... There are other places that I think that could be said for even more because the Amazon is right up there on everyone's list of first place to go. So there are a lot of people going out there doing the doing the looking and the discovering. Um, So certainly I would love to go out there. And there is actually a a possibility that I'll be able to in May. Um, But the other place that is high up on my list is Iran, because I am actually half Iranian. And um, so a lot of my family are from there. And I know that there are vast swathes of desert and mountain area and all kinds of different habitats that just don't get the attention that a lot of places like, for example, the Amazon rainforest do get. And it's made even more difficult by, you know, the political situation in that traveling to Iran and doing this kind of work over there is not without risk. So, um there's a part of me that would absolutely love to go out there and see what's out there. I know of one Iranian arachnologist who does go out there and find stuff. And he's discovering things all the time. Every time he goes out there, there's new things, you know. And that, to me, is just so exciting, the fact that there may be tons of things out there that no one's ever seen before. So.
0: Now, when you mention that you, you have a room where you keep these spiders, um, what, do, what do you keep them in? And do you regard them as pets or as, as subjects?
1: I This is just personal preference, but I have a problem with the word pet when it comes to animals like spiders. To me, the word pet evokes images of cats and dogs sitting on your lap and, you know, enjoying your company. My spiders don't care if I'm there or not. As long as they're getting fed and they've got what they need, they they'd rather not deal with me, to be quite honest. So they are, I don't know, I guess I'm just their provider. They're there for me to learn from and for me to provide for and uh, I give them everything they need in return. So I, I like to try and make it as as nice to look at as I can. So my spider room, you know, the, the shelving racks that I keep them on are very well lit. Um, there are lots of different enclosures that I try to keep planted with live plants um and yeah I just try to make them as visually interesting as possible for me but also give the occupants adequate cover and as naturalistic as an an environment as I possibly can just to make sure that they are well cared for really.
0: I'm making an assumption here because I don't know much about spiders but when you create these little environments for them to live in are you bearing in mind you know that these are different species of spiders that may have different natural habitats and maybe you could just fill us in on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I keep a lot of tarantulas, but I also keep what are known as true spiders. So they are basically everything that isn't a tarantula that's really generalizing. So there's a bit more to it than that. But certainly there's jumping spiders, huntsman spiders, wolf spiders, all kinds up there. And of course, all of these different types of spiders have different requirements. So several of the tarantulas are terrestrial or fossorial, which means they burrow. So when I'm setting up an enclosure for those, I'll take into consideration the fact that if it's a burrowing species, it's going to want deep substrate, it's going to want cover to perhaps start a burrow beneath so you know a piece of cork bark or something just to give it a bit of initial security and it's going to spend most of its time in its burrow out of sight. If it's an arboreal species, so something that lives in a tree, I'll choose a tall environment for it. It doesn't have a deep layer of substrate, but it's got a lot of vertical furniture. So bark, leaves, branches, that kind of thing. So, yeah, certainly every different type of spider that I keep, a lot of research goes into their natural environments. Not just the kind of um, physical environment that they would like, but also things like what the relative humidity is like, where they come from, what the temperature is like, what kind of conditions they live in. So whether it rains a lot, whether it's very dry all of that kind of stuff definitely goes into choosing how I'm going to lay out an environment for one.
0: I, I saw a photograph that you posted the other day on Twitter where it looks like you're working on a new enclosure right now that actually has some running water. It's almost like a little mini waterfall. Is that also for, for a spider?
1: That is, well yeah, I'm, I'm famously indecisive um, and I had chosen a species that I was going to put into this enclosure and I built this enclosure with them in mind. But now that it's reached completion, I'm second guessing myself and wondering if I want to put something else in there. Originally, I wanted to put a group of lynx spiders in there. So there's a species of lynx spider. These ones are from Southeast Asia. Um, They like humidity. They like bright light. They like lots of plants to climb on and to hide in. Um, And they're really beautiful. They're bright green with like rainbow colours on their legs. They're stunning Um, and they can live happily together in a group, which cannot be said for most spiders. Um, so I was thinking of putting a group of them in there, but now I'm wondering if maybe I want to put a fishing spider in there instead, because there's a decent amount of water and I think it would make a good environment for one of them as well. But yeah, that was fun to build.
0: (laughs) You, you also photograph spiders. You take these macro photographs where we see them in incredible detail. Is that something you took some training to do? Did you figure it out on your own? How, how does that work?
1: No, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I am flying by the seat of my pants when it comes to that. I don't know what I'm doing at all. (laughs) I bought my first camera back in September last year. Um, I'd done all of my picture taking with just phone cameras or just a little handheld point and shoot digital camera in the past, so nothing special. But I'd always known I wanted to try this and I decided I'd look at secondhand cameras and lenses and I got my first DSLR and a macro lens and there is so much to learn. So I've learned everything that I I can do at the moment by myself, just by looking online, asking people that I know who do this kind of thing, if they've got any advice for me, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there's... I feel like I've barely even scratched the surface with that yet. So the fact that I can get some nice images with the little that I know so far is great, but I've got a long way to go.
0: (laughs) People can be so polarized by spiders, as you know. I'm sure there are some people when you tell them that this is your thing, that they're kind of like, yikes, I I don't even want to hear it. Um, Some people, when they spot them in the house, they'll just execute them on sight Other people will catch and release. I am in the latter camp, so I will actually get a glass and I'll put it over it and slide a piece of paper under, take them outside. Why in your mind, if you can set aside your own fascination with these creatures, why in your mind is that a preferable thing? How would you try and convince someone who's a spider killer that they should just stop and, and be a little nicer to this creature?
1: It's a really tough one to unpack because there's a lot of cultural and sort of inherited bias that affects most people's perception of these creatures. Everything you hear in the media is negative, you know. Oh, deadly spiders are taking over this area, you know. it's And, and the thing is, is that people who aren't massively into this kind of thing, they take what they read in these publications as fact If a newspaper says spider expert says that this was a spider bite, they'll take it as fact. Even when you speak to people who are actually spider experts and they'll say, no, it's the furthest thing from fact. Trying to get people to understand that in itself, you know, the fact that the things they're reading in the paper or seeing on the news are not necessarily correct is a really big hurdle to overcome. The other thing is, you know, in uh, popular culture, in movies and on the TVs, like spiders and cobwebs and everything are always used to give some kind of creepy or negative kind of environment or feeling, you know, um, children's stories and, you know, seeing when you're growing up other people being terrified of spiders. It's really, really easy to be afraid of spiders it's really difficult to convince people that there's really honestly nothing to be afraid of. And actually having them around your house is far more beneficial than not having them around your house. So yeah, there's there's a, definitely a lot of work needs to be done there, but.
0: Why, why is it beneficial to have them around the house?
1: Because they eat things that, you don't want in your house so the first thing that you need to keep in mind is that when people start talking about spider bites spiders don't want to bite humans they don't gain anything from doing so they don't feed off of of us in any way biting a human is drawing attention to themselves they will only do it if they are threatened to the point where they think they have no other choice so if one is trapped in your clothes when you're putting your clothes on it gets squished up against your skin it might bite you if you're really antagonizing one it might bite you Other than that, they just want to be left alone. But mosquitoes, fleas, bed bugs, all of these kind of things, they do want to bite you. And your first line of defense against those is other invertebrates that eat them. And spiders are the absolute best for that. So you want them in your house, I promise you.
0: Now you have a, a Patreon or Patreon plan going whereby someone who likes what you're doing and wants to support you can help support your work. Um, you also use that page to make an appeal to people who might even have a phobia of spiders and say, look, I, I understand, you know, I'm hoping that maybe you'll, you'll read a bit and learn a bit and maybe we can, we can help deal with that. Tell me how the, how the Patreon or the Patreon plan has been, has been working for you and, and if you're finding some people who want to support you.
1: It's really fun. I only started it back in March. And I I didn't really have any expectations of it. I just wanted to try it out and see what happened. But there's been a fair bit of interest. And it's just really encouraging when I'm posting my content, and I'm sharing my passion for spiders, and I get messages from people or comments, you know, just basically expressing enthusiasm for, for what they're seeing what they're learning. And that spurs me on to do more because, you know, when I get a positive response to things like that, it's like, OK, this is reaching people and they're enjoying it. I'll, I'll keep doing it. Um, as far as the arachnophobia thing is concerned, I've got a long term plan to come up with a, a project or a way of helping people with that. And I would like my Patreon to, to help with that. But I think, you know, before I before I start with all of that project, there's a lot of work needs to go into that yet. Before I start with that, I can help people here and now just by... Contributing to their exposure to things, you know. So, pictures and information about spiders is one of the first and most important ways of helping people overcome a fear. The ability to look at a photo from a safe distance and know that it's not going to start moving or jump at them, you know, it gives people the opportunity to have a look at details that they wouldn't ordinarily be able to stick around long enough to see. Reading a bit of information about behavior, especially from the point of view of somebody who's very passionate about them and who has a lot of good things to say about them helps people begin to sort of create a bit of a more positive understanding of them. It's not quite so fear based now. It's fact based. And not only is it fact based, it comes from a place of love and positivity. So posting the things that I post on Patreon and keeping up that kind of attitude and that kind of, um, I guess, method of delivery helps people uh, gradually sort of decrease their fear or, you know, diminish their fear through exposure. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I've, I've got big plans for it.
0: What about other living creatures? Do you have another area of fascination after spiders?
1: Yeah, I, I, everything. I mean, I've got a lot of animals here. I keep all kinds of stuff. I've got fish, I've got birds, I've got frogs and dogs, cats, all the normal stuff, you know. Um, basically everything. I mean, I'm fascinated by all living creatures, not just animals, plants as well. You know, I've got a lot of plants around. I just really enjoy looking at and learning about life on earth, everything that's around us. But yeah, I mean, I do have a big soft spot for reptiles and amphibians as well. I just think they're really fascinating creatures. And the amount that you can do with, you know, setting up enclosures and making them naturalistic and really pretty to look at as well, and watching how the animals interact with them, is you know it's really satisfying it's, it's very rewarding working with things like that
0: now i have absolutely no idea what the answer to this question might be but i'm curious if you do and the question is how many how many species of arachnid have been catalogued
1: oh there are lots and i actually had numbers for this that have gone out of my mind and now i'm on the spot i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I can t- I can tell you I can tell you a bit about in my country. So in in England, sure. in the UK, we have approximately six hundred and fifty species of spider in the UK, um, and I'm sure there are more out there that we haven't cataloged yet that we haven't found. But obviously, with the UK being quite a small island and quite densely populated. We've found most of the stuff that's here, I would imagine, but of course things are always changing because with climate change and you know the increase in temperature, gradually we find that creatures that are perhaps being accidentally, import- accidentally imported from Europe and other places are now finding our conditions a little less harsh and are finding it that you know actually they c- they can establish here. So we're having to monitor the changes in populations of introduced species that, although they may have been introduced over a hundred years ago. All of a sudden we 're seeing that they 're spreading far and wide, much more so than they ever were before, so we look at things like that in terms of globally. this is really embarrassing as a as an aspiring spider scientist, but I would really have to look that up
0: <laughs> that 's fine that 's fine i 'm curious has the has the pandemic changed things much for you, or has the world of spiders and the people that you you know Uh, connect with over that been been pretty much constant or has your life changed quite a bit as well
1: my life has changed a lot during the pandemic um mostly because it's given me the time to focus on this um with a lot more of my sort of concentration and uh, attention than I was able to before um about a year or so ago a year and a half ago I I'd go as far as to say that I burnt out from working as an illustrator I just got to a point where it really wasn't doing it for me anymore and I wasn't getting any satisfaction or joy from the work that I was doing and I was feeling more of a pull towards getting back to science and you know learning about spiders and other life you know just just focusing on that more that kind of tied in with a couple of diagnoses at the beginning of 2019 I was diagnosed with ADHD and at the beginning of this year just before all the pandemic stuff kicked off I was diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorder So I realised that one of the reasons I didn't continue my education back in 2009 when I graduated was that I'd found quite a lot of um, the study process at university to be quite hard going. And although I knew I was capable, for some reason, I just couldn't quite do certain things. So I I found certain parts of studying and essay writing and everything to be very, very difficult These diagnoses answered why. All of a sudden, it became perfectly clear that, okay, yeah, I I completed a bachelor's degree with two undiagnosed learning difficulties and no assistance whatsoever. So all of a sudden it goes from feeling a little sort of um, sad about the fact that maybe I hadn't done as well as I'd hoped to now feeling very proud of myself for having done that unassisted. So now that I have that understanding of myself and the pandemic has given me the time to focus on things, I've realised that actually going back to academia and resuming my education and pushing towards a future as an arachnologist is definitely something that I can achieve and it's something that I want to achieve. So I've spent a lot of the time during the pandemic reaching out to and connecting with other people across the world who do the same kind of things, working with um, the British Arachnological Society and more recently the International Society of Arachnologists just to get involved in some of their outreach projects and see if I can help like volunteer some of my time to help them with things. Um, so yeah, it's changed my life enormously because it's given me the time and the ability to to contact people and to sort of network more in an area that I was a stranger to this time last year, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot and I'm actually really grateful for it.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations on, on learning of those diagnoses and the fact that you were able to attend school without realizing that these were potentially having an impact on how well you'd be able to to perform there. Do, does getting the diagnosis also give you kind of a roadmap for going forward that should be helpful for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think without them, I would still be uh, experiencing a lot of self-doubt. I think I would still be feeling that, oh, maybe this isn't something I can do. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. But now I know that I'm eligible for support if I need it. And the universities that I'm looking at all offer support for this kind of thing because they recognise that these are challenges for the people that, you know, deal with them. But they're not they're not sort of a roadblock per se. You can work with them. They can actually work very much in your favour. The amount of hyper focus that I can apply to the things that I'm interested in because of my autism or because of my ADHD helps me hugely. So it's kind of gone from feeling a little bit lost and a little bit unsure to now feeling like, no, actually, you know what? I can make this work in my favor and this is, this is going to happen. So yeah, definitely the diagnoses have given me a clearer picture of what I can probably expect from myself moving forward.
0: Great. What, what you can't expect right now are the few questions I'm about to ask you. That sound indicates that we're heading into the final section of our interview and I'm going to ask you about five really short questions and just look for five short answers. So here we go. What is the most beautiful spider, in your opinion?
1: Oh, um, my lynx spiders, I think, are probably the most beautiful. Rainbow-coloured, bright green.
0: (laughs) Would you eat a protein-laden insect, say a grasshopper?
1: Not whole, no. I've eaten bug meals sort of formed into other things that I can't recognise, but I don't think I could do it whole.
0: (laughs) What what do you really like to cook?
1: Um, I'm really into Asian cuisine at the moment, a lot of Japanese stuff.
0: Now, this one may be a no, but do you have a favorite movie that involves spiders or arachnids in some way?
1: No, I've actually never seen the two big ones, which are Arachnophobia and Eight-Legged Freaks. I have avoided them like the plague.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And finally, if, if you could only visit Canada or the United States, but not both, which would you choose and why?
1: Canada, definitely, 100%. Um, because I lived in the U S for a period of years, not that long ago. And, um, I've never been to Canada. So I would very much like to come over there and check it out.
0: Well, we'd love to have you and we have plenty of spiders here, so please do come. One of my favorite things about this show is that I get to meet really fascinating, interesting people with great stories. And today it was truly a pleasure to speak with you, T. You're you're so interesting. What you do is so interesting and, and you're so eloquent in describing it. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: Even if you don't like spiders, you've got to love that passion. You know, T sent me a photo after we finished our conversation for the BMO website, and it showed some of her many arachnid habitats that she has built and maintains in her home. They were neat, cleanly labeled, and it looked almost like a science lab. And you know, that seemed about right, because T seems to have the clarity and commitment of a scientist. The spiders are lucky to have her, and so were we. I'm Scott Simme. See you next week.
1: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries.